0: Be part of an innovative fine arts community immersed in a top research university. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Music's world-class vocal department constantly works at the cutting edge of musical art forms. CMU performance faculty are creating projects that leverage musicians' skill sets in unique and applicable ways. Students are challenged to think outside the box as they engage with non-traditional performance spaces, collaboration with electronics, and improvisation, alongside a robust program of traditional studies, languages, recitals, and operas. To learn more about Carnegie Mellon University and to apply, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. So,
1: so, so lit. This is So Lit! Songlit, a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative where we reimagine the repertoire by introducing less familiar art songs through sound clips and lively discussion. I'm vocal coach Ellen Rissinger. I'm soprano Tony marie Palmertree.
2: And I'm tenor Zachary Dean-Smith.
0: Join us as we explore this exciting repertoire. Solid, solid, reimagining the repertoire. One of the things we've tried very hard to do on this podcast is to try to give Uh, an example of each of the languages every week. So this episode should be the Italian episode. Mm -hmm. But finding an openly queer female composer in Italy, as as Zach actually said earlier, in a country that is very mired in Catholicism, was extremely difficult. So who do we have on tap today, Zach?
2: This week, we're going to look at the music of Isabella Leonarda. She was a, uh, one of the head nuns in a convent um, who lived in the, uh, what were the dates again?
1: 1620 to 1704.
2: So solidly in that Baroque time period. And she was a very prolific composer at the time who uh, had the luxury of being able to exist in a convent as their primary composer of music, writing a lot of stuff from her own experience, setting, you know, sacred texts and writing some of her own. The reason that uh, we have put all this preface in front of this information is because it's not entirely clear how uh, queer Isabella Leonardo may have been, which is gonna be the case when we start looking at um, people who lived 300 years ago. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And that was one of the things that we really ran into trouble with, finding queer Italian women. And... Although we don't know for certain whether or not um, Isabella Leonarda was queer, there are three things that I think point in that direction, even if they don't confirm it. The first of all was that she had a strong dedication in a lot of her pieces. And when I say dedication, I mean a literal dedication at the beginning of all of her pieces to um, the Mother Mary a sort of powerful feminine figure, which is focused on a lot in Catholicism, but which she had a strong attachment to, almost obsession with the divine feminine. The second thing I wanted to look at was her position as a woman in a position of power in 1600s um, Italy. Whether or not her position of power as a woman was informed by the fact that she was queer, it does not change the fact that she was operating in a woman-owned space, creating music for women to sing. And because queerness has been such a nebulous concept throughout history, it's hard not to look at that and think that it's, well, a little bit gay. Mm -hmm. And the third thing that I want to talk about is actually one of the pieces that we recorded. This piece is called Au Flamme,
0: We should say, these are all from motets. Mm -hmm. O Flamme is from motet number six.
2: Yes, motet number six. She composed primarily motets for solo voice, although she operated in a lot of other genres with uh, solo instruments, instrumental duets, um, alongside uh, Vaso Continuo. But this text in particular is about suppressing the flame of desire (laughs) um, in a way that, I mean makes me think a little bit of uh, Hellfire um, from Hunchback of Notre Dame, although much less menacing. Lyrics which were written by her are all about her trying to exist as chaste and pure, a common concern in uh, Nunneries. But when you look at her position, her sort of obsession with the divine feminine, it's hard not to read it as a little bit queer, her attempt to suppress her desire for women, which would have been viewed as unnatural in that time,
0: mm-hmm. and this piece is very coloratura. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful and 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 super exciting. And if you can do coloratura, it's very accessible. Mm-hmm. But it also gives you some challenges because it's not just going da 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 it's five not purely scales.
2: scalar motion.
0: No, you get a couple of like third leaps where you have to sort of do a pattern of thirds. So it is very, very Baroque sounding, mm-hmm. but also gives you a good challenge. And for pianists, it's figure bass, and there's not a lot of figures. So you get to play around and have a good time with this and make up some piano parts.
3: Accendi refrigerate. <susurra>
0: One of the pieces from Motet Number Eleven is a Salve Regina, sung here by baritone Troy Cook. And I'm sorry, I did Evita when I was in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Sang Evita, and all like the Salve Regina mater (laughs) misericordiae. But it is not that piece. But it is super cool because this one starts right in with the voice, Mm -hmm. and it's. It's so angular. You get this adagio music. And I went through and wrote in my chords because, again, this is figured bass. And the second chord that I have is a B diminished chord, which Hmm. is not that usual for continuo in in the Baroque time period. But it's so angular with these dotted eighths and sixteenth notes. So it starts off with this very angular juxtaposed language. It is... Actually, the text that I said <laughs> it is Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae. And again, it has a little bit of coloratura. This is nice and slow. slow. And later on, it moves as many motets do, as many sections of pieces do. It has several different moments to it. And at the end of it, it has this gorgeous allegro section that feels like you're being newborn.
3: misericordes mm. mm. <laughs>
0: Motet number 20, we have a, a song called Purpurei Flores. And I remember the day that Zach came into my studio and was like, you have to hear this piece. <laughs> 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 I think that was this was the piece that made you fall in love with Leonardo because there is a recording of this one on YouTube, I think. Mm-hmm. This one has Violino Primo and Secondo. So if you're looking for the opening of a recital, I think any of these would be lovely. But Mm -hmm. this one, if you can get some instruments to join along with you, really fun. Yeah. This piece is really interesting
1: when we're talking about her being in a convent, you know, and she's writing all this music for the convent that her and all of her sisters all went to the same convent she is being credited with being the first woman to write sonatas for violin and basso continuo. Oh. And she's written more than 200 works. I mean, that's including all of the stuff that she wrote for, for
2: church. Which she's- is astounding, considering the fact that she was not allowed extra time to compose this music. Right. She was doing all of the regular duties um, that the rest of the nuns were. And then composing music on top of that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of music on top of that, which, to my opinion, just tells us that she never slept. (laughs) Pretty much.
1: (laughs) And she was actually published um, in the Terzo Libro di Sacri Concenti in 1640. So if you think about a woman having a credit like that being published. And she would only have been 20 years old at that point. That's incredible. That's insane. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. This uh, Purpore Flores, you know, she wrote uh, lots of music in Latin, obviously, for the church, but she also wrote music in Italian. And, um, you know, this is just such a fun cantata type of piece with lots of movement and, and flourishes. And mm-hmm. it, it's just absolutely,
0: it's so fun. <laughs> I, I would say, too, here in this one, you get coloratura that is more scalar.
3: Mm-hmm. we yes. get a
0: little bit of scales but we also get more of a dance feel it's in
3: 6-8 mm-hmm.
0: but we do have sections of this so there's rechedative in the middle of it. Yes. It's I would say this is almost its own little Shana by itself. Oh, absolutely. Because we have a little bit of Reset which has some coloratura in it. Mm-hmm. And then as we move along, there's also a Sinfonia at the end, and it follows all of the great 16th century counterpart. (laughs) I say not having actually looked at it, but I can look at it on the page and tell you it looked like my homework did in 16th century (laughs) counterpoint. You
2: were alive in the 16th century? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, no.
0: (laughs) Somehow I got an A in that class, even though I don't remember most of it. I was just going to say, I don't know if I passed that class. (laughs) (laughs) but again i would say these are pieces if you're looking for something for the opening of a recital because we often do something more early especially if it's in italian this would be latin so this would cover that in a way but these are beautiful pieces and can give you a sense of recitative it can give you a sense of the dance feel of most of baroque music yeah and would give you a great way to start a recital. And it's it's obviously all very accessible for the mm-hmm. audience, mm-hmm. which is what I, we always worry about when you're bringing different music to an audience. Are they going to enjoy it? There's nothing not to like in this. It's just such cute, pretty, lovely, interesting
2: music. And talking briefly about being accessible, when I was doing my research into her works, I was also able to find some copies of the original um, Noom notation of some of this music, there is a lot of information, a lot of her music that is very easy to find.
0: Mm. I think we can thank the church for that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And as for level, like this, this I think anybody could sing. Oh, absolutely. You could Mm. easily give this to a beginner as great exercises on coloratura, as great exercise in style, as just fun. Yeah, I agree. Have fun guys. Musical clips for this episode were performed by tenor Zachary Dean Smith, soprano Tony Marie Palmertree, baritone Troy Cook, and pianist Ellen Rissinger, and recorded at Morningstar Studios in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Purchase information for the scores discussed in this episode
1: are available in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. Episodes drop every first, third, and fifth Thursday of each month. So Lit, songlit is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts.
3: So Lit, So Lit, reimagining the
4: repertoire. Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional songmaking at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st-century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online, wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit.